everyone, and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today we're coming to the airwaves with an episode that has been requested by you, the listeners, for months now, and we're finally making it happen. We are, and I am so excited. We are, spoiler alert, going to be talking about Uncharted, not the prequel National Treasure book, but <laughs> Uncharted, the movie based on the video game. And of course, naturally, we're going to be comparing Uncharted, the movie, to the National Treasure franchise. That's what y'all really want, right? Right? I think that's what the people, that's what the people want. And may I just say, I had the opportunity to, because I don't have the memory like Aubrey, I had the opportunity to rewatch this movie uh, this weekend. And I, Mm. spoiler alert, found myself enjoying it. I I thought it was like pretty good. It's, it's, we'll we'll talk about some of the similarities and differences compared to National Treasure, but I, I did really enjoy, you know, sometimes the homework for this podcast is a little tedious for me, but I really did enjoy this particular set of homework. Wow. I'm so glad. And I'm so glad that this episode is finally happening. Uh, but before we get into the nitty gritty, y'all know how this conversation must begin. It's got to begin with our screams from Parkington Lane. <laughs> we uh, invite you to join Emily and myself at the very bottom of the Parkington Lane pit where we have landed on a pillowy cloud and not crashed to our death like Shaw because National Treasure has taken over our entire lives and screams from Parkington Lane is really our recognition of that. So Emily, what scream do you have to share with us this week? I have a great one. Uh you already know about it because I texted you immediately after. Well, not immediate. Okay. Anyway, I was in the car and I was driving home from my job. I was stopped at a stoplight and this car pulls over into this lane next to me, which is a turn lane. So I initially thought they were turning and they just kind of like sat there. And I I don't know if I thought something was up, but I thought to look over. I looked over and it was these like three teenage boys. They put their window down and they were like, hey, what's on page 47? Because as you may or may not know, I have the what's on page 40, ask me what's on page 47 sticker on the back of my car. Although Aubrey has warned me numerous times that I need to have an answer to this question, I did not. So I just said, I don't know. But then I proceeded to promote the podcast and they seemed excited about it. And then right before the light turned green, they were like, can we get in front of you? (laughs) I was just (laughs) like, sure. Well, doing the Lord's work, Emily. I've, li- I've li- literally given you so many answers to that question. You watched me walk around, talk to like hundreds of people before the Roslyn National Treasure movie night and have to answer that question for every single person. And I gave every single person a different answer. You can't come up with one? No. Okay, well, I love that scream. And I feel like on a normal week, you would win. Because screams have suddenly become a competition. (laughs) I didn't know this. I feel like I always lose. (laughs) Well, again, I feel like that's normally a winning scream, but I have a scream. What's your scream, woman? Okay, so last week. Last week, I'm at my favorite ice cream shop. 
in uh, our is this the one I went to yes this is <gasps> the one Mm-hmm. the it's one amazing. I took you to after the tour this summer mm-hmm. it's called Mimi's Handmade shout out to Mimi's I literally go there every week it is in Pentagon City in Arlington Virginia and I'm there getting my weekly ice cream and it's raining outside so my friend and I decide to sit at this little area at the front of the shop near the window we never sit inside like it's a very cute square there's no need to sit inside I sit down, we're talking, we're eating ice cream. I just literally, I want to describe this to you, Emily. I'm sitting there, we're around this like wall. So there's kind of a, like a corner of a wall in front of us. I scoop some ice cream into my mouth and then I just look up straight ahead of me. And on the wall in front of me at eye level in the middle of this like ice cream cone shaped decoration is our national treasure hunt sticker. I literally froze. My friend, this is Betsy. Shout out to Betsy. She listens to the pod. Um, Betsy looks at me and I could see her like turning to look at the wall because I was stunned speechless. I was like, oh my God. I literally, first thing I was like, did you put this here? (laughs) Accusatory, love it. (laughs) And she's like, no. And then for the rest of the night, I'm like trying to figure out which of my friends put this sticker here because it's my favorite ice cream shop. Like, what are the chances? Needless to say, I text you. I'm like, did you put this here? Did Josh, your boyfriend, put this here after the tour? You assured me they hadn't. I texted Brian, my boyfriend. Like, did you put this here after the tour? He says, no. I text all of my friends that I brought to this ice cream place. I'm like, did you put this here? They all swear they didn't do it. And so either someone's lying to me or someone that we met at the Rosalind movie night who received one of our stickers stuck it to the wall of my favorite ice cream shop as a coincidence and it was my favorite thing that's happened to me in months shout out to whoever that was I hope you're listening now because you've made Aubrey very happy and if you are can you just like shoot us a message on Twitter or Instagram and and tell me because I love this and also this has now made me want to like issue a challenge if anyone wants one of our stickers to stick in your favorite public place to then send a picture to us so we can post it online, literally DM us. I will mail you stickers. And if you want to find us to do that DMing or to tell us you put the sticker in Aubrey's ice cream shop, go ahead and find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a not so new anymore website nthuntpodcast.com where you can find information about the podcast, our tour, our merch store, literally anything you can think of that you could have a question about regarding National Treasure Hunt, you will find it there. Yes, you will. And so now with all of those very exciting screams, these might, these might be like peak screams for us, Emily. I feel like we knocked this one out of the park. We can now proceed into a very fun episode comparing National Treasure to Uncharted. So Emily, as you know, This is one of our pop culture comparison episodes. So this is really your show. What do we have in store for us? Can you give us like an outline? Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk to you guys about this as I normally am. I'm going to give you a summary of the movie first to get us all on the same page. Then I'm going to be talking about what the focus of the episode will be. 
From then, I will go into various topics dealing with legends to treasure hunts, treasures, characters, and then style, all followed by a wrap-up discussion of our overall impressions of the film and what we think it means for the future of National Treasure. That is, that last part, I think, is obviously not only interesting to me, but I hope um, something that all of our listeners are looking forward to hearing because as we know all we want here on this podcast is national treasure three so um as always we want to make sure that anyone tuning into this episode does not have to have seen uncharted for this episode to do something for you so we are treated today with a very special gift really it's an emily rendition of a movie summary and so at the risk of Emily, um, how do I put this kindly? <laughs> Let's just put it this way. I have been told that I need to make sure that you all understand the movie. I was preemptively told that before recording. <laughs> okay. Yes, that is exactly what we need to make sure of here. So I'm just going to kind of fill in the blanks if I see any blanks. Um, but Emily, I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell us what Uncharted is actually about. Okay, so I have to say from the beginning, it was really hard for me in prepping for this episode not to refer to the main characters by the actors' names because (laughs) I did that throughout my notes and then was confusing myself and really had to think about their names. That being said, I'll be using their names in this summary. So Nathan Drake, our main character, he is a bartender? Maybe I'm unclear exactly what his profession is, but we start with the flashback of him and his brother in the foster system. They're going to try and steal this map of Magellan's journey around the world and his brother gets caught. It's clear that this was uh, not a random occurrence on his brother's part. This has happened before and his brother gets taken away and promises Sam that he will come back. We're then propelled into current day where we have Nathan bartending and giving out some random facts to a woman he's trying to impress. Uh, in in the bar, we find Soli, who's played, oh, I should mention Nathan is played by uh, Nathan or Nate, as we will refer to him, is played by Tom Holland. Um, and then in the bar, we find a character that I'm just going to call Soli. I think he has a full name, but Soli is all I got. Uh, he's played by Mark Wahlberg, and he wants to recruit Nathan to help him find this legendary treasure that uh, Magellan was supposedly looking for. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, when we get into the episode itself, but Basically, Nate says no, then he says yes, and then they're working together. It all happens very quickly. (laughs) Um, There's a bad guy played by Antonio Banderas. I do not know. I don't know if his character was even given a name. He doesn't need a full name because he's not actually the villain for very long. He's like a very bad villain. That's true. That is one of my issues with this movie as a whole, but we will get to that. Uh, So he is a bad guy. He's trying to get this cross thing that they think is a key it's like a gold Um, cross yeah it's like it's a fancy cross but they are trying to get it from this auction long story short they wind up with it the good guys wind up with it and things seem to be going smoothly they then 
travel via plane to a different part of the world that I don't remember what it is, but it's not super important. Um, they go to a different part of the world and they use a captain's journal, which has previously been found by Soli. And we find out Nate's brother, Sam, who adventured with Soli for a little while. We use this captain's journal to tell us some information about where to go with the key. And then we meet up with a woman named Chloe. Chloe's pretty cool. Chloe apparently has the other key, was not expecting to be working with uh, Nate, but is now doing so after some convincing. We go through this whole thing. There are some clues to be solved. We end up turning these keys, whatever. We find a kind of like a fake out treasure room uh, that contain these urns. These urns are just filled with salt. Uh, They find a map in the urns that tells them where the actual treasure is. So then they're going to go there. But before they can get out, oh no, Chloe comes and holds Nate at gunpoint and is like, I'm sorry to betray you, but I have to. And then also tells him that Sully is like somehow kind of responsible for Sam's death. Like, yeah, I the moral of this entire movie to me is everyone is backstabbing everyone else at all times. That is true. But even though she backstabs him, they eventually become friends again. Um, mm-hmm. There's some other stuff that happens, but they become friends again. They are trying to figure out this next clue. Um, and Nathan basically finds out that the postcards that his brother Sam had sent him over the years while he was away are a clue in and of themselves. We use a cool invisible ink trick with a flame. That sounds familiar. And we find the coordinates to the location we need to go to. Real quick before we go there, we backstab Chloe this time. Uh, head off into this cave where they find these two boats that Magellan had apparently sailed there. How did they get in there? I do not know. I feel like you are burying the lead a little bit. You're calling them boats. These are massive wooden sailing ships, like think pirate ship vibe. And they happen to be like loaded with barrels of gold, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, they're big ships. They had barrels of gold. It was great. Ships are being airlifted out at some point. By a new villain. Yeah, at some point, Antonio (laughs) Banderas' character gets killed uh, by this other villain named Joe. Joe's the one now lifting the ships out. We have this huge fight with the ships in the sky, which I will talk about. Oh, it's a whole thing. Eventually, the ships crash into the ocean or wherever. Yeah, I guess it's the ocean. Uh, and they find out that, uh, Nate has a couple pieces of gold that he gives to Sully. He and Sully are friends again, even though they had had a bit of a falling out at some point in the movie. And then the movie ends. Although there is a teaser that Sam is actually alive. There is. And I do have to say, I've only played Uncharted, the video game, for about five minutes. Uh, but I do remember reading somewhere that in one of the versions of the video games, he was alive. Sam was alive. So I think this is holding true. Yeah. So the additional real world context I'm going to add to this conversation is just for everyone's reference. This movie was released this year in 2022. 
It's billed as an action adventure film. It is just under two hours long. And in terms of reception, um, it made just over $401 million at the box office, which is quite good. Um, it has a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, so with all that being said, I hope, was that good? Was that a good summary? I think so. I think, yeah, you hit the main points. Um, the main characters being Nathan and Sully, they are the protagonists, but we use, I wouldn't say heroes. I think everyone's kind of a villain in this movie to some capacity. Um, the actual villains change a lot um, and they find the treasure, but they kind of lose the treasure and it's super disappointing, but I will get to that later on as well. Okay, so the focus of this episode, I know we've done these in a couple different ways over the seasons. The focus of this episode is going to be on the similarities and differences between Uncharted and National Treasure, which might seem on the surface to be pretty similar to what we've done in the past. But I have to say, I actually feel as though these movies are pretty similar on the surface. And I think that's one of the reasons that I actually did enjoy Uncharted. However, Something that I did notice is that when I finished Uncharted, it did not leave me with the same wholesome, happy feeling that National Treasure did. And I think this is why I really want to spend the time diving into what is similar and what is different to try and figure out why it was that I didn't get that National Treasure feeling. Aubrey, what was your, briefly, what was your reaction to this film? So I, from an entertainment perspective, I was certainly entertained. Now, was I taking copious notes in my phone in the middle of the movie theater, knowing that one day we would create this episode? Yes, of course I was. Have you met me? Um, but I think that ultimately, and I'm, I'll probably revisit this point later on, I think National Treasure Hunt has just ruined my ability to enjoy these types of movies. <laughs> Because I am looking for very specific things out of these types of movies that I find National Treasure to do really well. And that includes things like, you know, the intricate clues that are based on real things or the circularity of clues or what have you. And as soon as a movie doesn't have that, I'm disappointed. So um, I feel you. I, I agree that I didn't have the same fuzzy feeling at the end of the movie. I agree that they have a very similar vibe for many other reasons, but I still prefer National Treasure Shocker. <laughs> wow, that is the bombshell of this episode. Guess we can stop here. Just kidding, let's continue. So both of these movies, both National Treasure, really both National Treasure 2 and National Treasure, as well as Uncharted, <laughs> all start with a flashback scene. Yeah, uh, which is super cool and consistent. Um, in these flashback scenes, there is someone who knows about the treasure or knows about a clue relating to the treasure and someone who doesn't. So in the case of Uncharted, Sam, Nate's brother, knows about this supposed treasure and he's telling Nate about it for the first time. There's also this familial connection that we kind of get in this flashback scene. So something that Sam tells Nate 
is that the two of them have pirate blood in their veins because they're descended from someone by the name of Sir Francis Drake. And in National Treasure, of course, we have the Knights Templar connection. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think the flashback scene does lend this idea from the beginning that maybe you are going to get this wholehearted, you know, family story just like we get out of National Treasure because we're used to that outcome from seeing such a similar thing in National Treasure. But immediately for me, I'm really struck by the fact that not only are Nathan and his brother fascinated by maps, which gets me excited from the get-go, and so of course they're trying to steal Ferdinand Magellan's map like you mentioned, but because they're trying to steal this priceless map and not just, you know, marveling at it in a museum window or something like that, you inherently, I think, start with these impure, slightly nefarious, slightly devious intentions, which immediately makes, to me anyway, the uncharted characters less likable and way less noble than we're seeing from protagonists in something like National Treasure. Mm, that's that's a really good point. Actually, you know, because people could say, well, Ben tries to steal the Declaration of Independence, but he's doing it for kind of a noble reason. And we'll get a little more into that when we get into the characters and the analysis of them. But for now, let's move on to the fact that both of these franchises are based around a legend, right? We see this in National Treasure with the Templar Treasure, and we see this in National Treasure 2 with Cibola the city of gold and here in uncharted we have this idea of magellan yeah so this is something else that i think is a subtle similarity to national treasure um the legend of uncharted story some might call it a conspiracy theory right because the whole the whole purpose of this treasure we probably haven't made this clear from the summary so far but the idea was ouch No, no, I don't mean that in a bad way. We can say it here. Um, Folks who remember world history might recall that Ferdinand Magellan was the first person to circumnavigate the world by ship. Um, And so this movie is asserting that Magellan was actually never intending to circumnavigate the world. That was like the front. (laughs) That was the front on the mission. Um, He was actually on a hunt for a massive gold treasure. And so the legend had it that he had found this treasure and then it was lost. So because this is almost like a strategic or selective retelling of history, I think you can call it a conspiracy theory. Interesting. Okay. I didn't think of it as a conspiracy theory because I I thought of it, I think, as more similar to National Treasure and National Treasure 2. And I guess we don't think of those things as conspiracy theories necessarily. But the reason for that is the treasures in both of the National Treasure movies are actual treasures of legend, right? Legend is something, it's a story that's been passed down for centuries, right? But no one actually knows if it's true. Therefore, someone finding it isn't necessarily especially in a fictional world it's not a conspiracy it's just playing out one version of how this legend can play out the reason that i think the magellan story is different is because we know what happened like we know that magellan circumnavigated the world and 
that is what we are all taught was the purpose of his mission. And that's why he's in our textbooks today. So kind of adding the spin on it, we're like, oh, that wasn't actually the purpose. That's what makes it, I think, a conspiracy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I can feel definitely connections to stuff with Dan Brown's writing about mm. about that kind of conspiracy theory. I think I think of it personally all in the same vein, which I think is why I still like it. But I do see the intricacy of what you're saying here. And I will mention at this point that the story about Magellan or the conspiracy theory about Magellan goes on to say that the trip around the world was basically funded by this house of Moncada. And these are people who also actually bankrolled the Crusades, supposedly, as well as the Inquisition and some other bad stuff. And the name Moncada will come up again. Wow. I'm kind of feeling like you. I did not pick up on that. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, I was taking a lot of notes, so I probably missed a lot of stuff. But <laughs> sure. I also just rewatched this film. So <laughs> I, I would have remembered none of this if I <laughs> hadn't done so. Um, uh, we have a lot of things to cover. We want to make sure that we get all of this to all of you. So let's move on to the fact that in both franchises, there are heist scenes that are basically played out in montage form um so there's this montage scene in uncharted that's setting up this heist for this cross key thing it's this fancy cross that we were talking about a little earlier oddly enough in this montage scene we have a cut of some working out by Tom Holland's character, which I think was just an excuse for us to see Tom Holland working out, which I'm not complaining about. And I say this because I think he's about our age. So I feel, I don't feel like I'm talking oddly about like a young child. Um, We see, I have written here, looking up to Sully, looking up Sully. Oh yes. So after his workout, Nate or Tom Holland uh, also then does some research on Sully to figure out the man he's working with. And then we go back to more working out. So really, Nate is just working out and there's a lot happening. Yeah. All of our preparation. I mean, we like to talk about all of National Treasure's prep montages. To be fair, Nathan did have to use all of this workout prep because he was hanging from some chandeliers. Okay, well... So we needed that upper arm strength. I find as unbiasedly as possible that this prep this preparatory montage if you will is far less impressive and far less explaining of how they're able to pull things off than what we see in at least the first and what did we see in national treasure aubrey yeah so i personally found that the this auction that is the setting for the gold cross heist like that that's the whole venue here right the the cross is actually like up for sale um and i find this setting to be pretty equivalent to the archives gala in the first national treasure movie um it's kind of like the cross is the declaration of independence as the item that needs to be stolen but the the difference here is that the cross is like in front of all of the gala people like it's out in the open and so it makes the heist a little bit more public but i think the equivalence of the cross and the declaration it really ends here with this point because ultimately how the cross ends up being used in the rest of the movie makes 
the cross a lot more like the Meerschaum pipe functionally as like a key of sorts than, than like the declaration, if that makes sense. Ooh, that does make sense. That's, that's really interesting. It's not going to come as a surprise to anyone that's listening that I actually didn't think about like what clues these or what items I guess the cross lined up with in my mind it was just like we're using a lot of cross the cross is just here a lot we're like lots of cross so this is the da Vinci code this is not national treasure (laughs) basically anyway these heists had to lead up to something right and that was the treasure hunt right that was part of it in case you haven't figured it out by now both of these franchises feature very prominent treasure hunts in all of their movies um in both cases we get a series of clues over time in the case of uncharted and i guess in the case especially of national treasure some of the work was done ahead of time so the idea that you know ben already had the secret lies with charlotte clue and he knew to go look in the arctic tundra to go find the ship and the mirror pipe all that stuff um, in Uncharted, it's the fact that Sully and Nate's brother Sam had previously gone and found the captain's journal. Um, our characters know that they need these cross key things. They have to figure out a, a tree clue, which ends up being a church rather than a literal tree, um, which after the National Treasure Hunt prequel books we've been covering, it had me thinking maybe they actually just were looking for a tree. <laughs> spoiler alert they were not they were looking for a church um there's some mentions of heaven and hell which gave me like da vinci code vibes there's another map where which we mentioned coming out of those big salt urns and then we mentioned previously also that there was invisible ink on a postcard with coordinates um in addition because that was, I realized a lot of that had to do with National Treasure 1 and kind of the treasure hunt that led us through that and in addition um I would like to point out that the scene where Chloe um, and Nate almost drowned mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of the water scene in Cibola and National Treasure 2. And I would just like to point out, hashtag water is the villain. Wow, I didn't really make that connection, so I appreciate it. I probably didn't make that connection because I was so annoyed by the fact that the earpiece Nate was wearing as he was drowning underwater wasn't affected by the water at all. And it worked as soon as he got out of the water, uh, which I found very, very distracting. Suspension of disbelief, Aubrey. We do it for all these movies. I don't know. That was just pretty egregious. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I actually thought of some other similarities with the the prequel books actually so this is a great time for us to plug uh previous episodes of season five of national treasure hunt if you have not listened to them go check them out where we basically recap the four prequel novels that are supposed to set the stage for national treasure yes that exists um i i let me ask you this emily you know how the books one and three of that series really um the treasure hunts were based on finding objects and using those objects as like arrows to point you to new objects and it kind of created a path Mm -hmm. i felt that in uncharted 
it had a very similar vibe because you're just like following these symbols or what is ultimately these keyholes that the crosses have to be used on. And you're just kind of, you, you know, you, you, you keep using the keys just to find the next keyhole. Um, in that way, just to be self-consistent because I criticized those books for doing this because I was like, that makes the treasure hunt way more tenuous and you just have to buy into it because who's to say the hole isn't covered by something now or who's to say you know that something hasn't been put in front of it or that wall hasn't been knocked down or that rock hasn't floated away in the stream or whatever it might be like it felt you know way more kind of suspension of disbelief um whereas national treasure the movies you really do use riddles and logic to tie every single clue together. Mm. Do you know, you know what I mean? I do. That's, that's really interesting. I didn't think about that. And on top of that, not only have the crosses, they're being used as keys this whole time, as we've been discussing, but then like you mentioned, they have to be used on the map that they find in the salt urn to point to the location of the treasure. And so honestly, at this point, personally, using the crosses this many times is like beating this keys concept to death. <laughs> so I personally, now that I have equated in my brain, the, the crosses to the Meerschaum pipe, I do find the use of the Meerschaum pipe at just the beginning and the end of the movie to be far more elegant than like beating this concept to death. Right. We, you always have that moment of just like, oh yeah and like have that like revelation moment when you see the Meerschaum pipe brought back out at the end because not using it the whole movie has given you time to sort of forget about it and then you get to be surprised and like excited when it's proven to be useful again at the end you know what I mean yeah and this movie was definitely more like oh cool what are we using the keys for next exactly totally <laughs> so I get that um so in addition to these treasure hunts being kind of similar and kind of different uh we have to talk about the treasure itself um so Aubrey I know you have many thoughts on this so why don't you get us started I would love to um, the movie claims that Magellan's treasure is the, quote, biggest treasure that's never been found. And to be fair, I can't tell whether the movie actually thinks that that's true. Um, but regardless, as far as I'm concerned, the Templar treasure and Cibola could very well be bigger. And all three are very legendary. So I don't know. And then when we finally see the treasure at the end... Templar treasure is way bigger. Just say it. Go on. I will let you cut in and then I'll come back in with more points. <laughs> so uh, I would like to point out that uh, the, the treasure, obviously, in this movie, at least to me, it was very clear that the treasure, once they found it, at least, was both the ships, Magellan ships, as well as the gold. And I think uh, whether or not both of these things were viewed by the characters as a treasure was very dependent on like who the characters were and their motives which we will get into a little bit more but just to kind of speak on that I would say that we get a more noble-ish motive from Nate and even Joe who is the villain and killed little Mankato uh Antonio Banderas's character um as compared to Soli at least I, at one point Joe even says 
uh, something along the lines of like you need to be careful when you're lifting these ships because these ships are valuable so she recognized that the ships were also like part of the treasure she was just trying to get money for them but Aubrey what I mean that's exactly it I hard I have to hard disagree with you here none of the characters have a noble motive in my opinion all of them just want money Nate does not just want money we will get into that really I feel like Nate just wants money no we'll get into it what's your next point sorry i'm not done with this joe (laughs) you cannot say that joe is more noble because she doesn't want the ships destroyed because she just doesn't want the ships destroyed so that she can sell them okay maybe noble is not the right word but she at least recognizes that there is more to the treasure than just gold for sure that just means she recognizes that antiques cost money yeah it's not like she wants to take the ships and put them in the smithsonian well, no, and I argue, by the way, that they were handled. That was never going to happen. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, it, this is definitely like a two-part treasure in a sense. Um, we do find the barrels of gold on the missing ships, but I personally feel like the ships themselves are more of a treasure than the gold because when they find the boats, they are pristine, like mint condition i do not know how that would be possible um and on top of it i feel like the gold that they do find on the ship really does kind of pale in comparison to for our purposes here today what we find as the templar treasure or cibola in the national treasure franchise so when i'm coming into this movie and seeing like a bunch of barrels of gold coins and stuff um but it's like such a smaller quantity i'm actually really much more intrigued by the ships themselves i don't know if you feel similarly yeah i mean i think so i think part of what i was trying to get at by saying that i think both the ships and the gold were part of the treasure was that i i I do view the ships as being a, a big part of the treasure and i think that you know obviously that's some history to be revered uh in a similar line to the way that the Templar treasure and you know the the treasure in Cibola all kind of contain some historical type artifacts and I also have to say that I feel like the ships themselves are any attempt at adding something more than monetary value to this treasure and so that's one of the things that I feel like people can appreciate so much about the national treasure treasures <laughs> um, in that they have both monetary and cultural and intrinsic value. And that is one of the things that, to be honest with you, I feel like makes national treasure stand the test of time and stand apart from many other treasure hunt movies. You know, the treasures always mean something to the world or to a country or what have you, as opposed to just resulting in one or two people getting rich. You know what I mean? And so that, I think, helps create buy-in for the audience when they can at least see the value and how, let's say this treasure was found in the real world. If they weren't the ones finding it, they're not getting that money, but they could go visit it at a museum. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to wrap up my thoughts on the, the treasures, um, I do know that Sully mentions in the movie at the end that the ship floating in the water is worth four to six billion dollars. Um, it's unclear to me if that's meant to be one ship 
or both ships combined. Um, but just for a point of reference, we don't know the value of Cibola in National Treasure 2, but we do know that the Templar treasure, um, Ben tells Sadesky it's worth about $10 billion. So. And as we know from the beginning of this episode where Screams became a competition, everything to Aubrey is now a competition. So National Treasure must be better if these treasures are worth more money. We literally end every one of these episodes with an assessment of which movie is better. I'm just saying that's one of the reasons that you're holding it to be better because the treasure was worth more. No, I am not. I'm not the greedy one. I am not the characters (laughs) in this movie. I'm the one who's saying that I don't like the gold on the ships. I like the (laughs) ships. (laughs) That's a great point, Aubrey. Speaking of the characters in this movie, let's get into them a little bit because I think here is where the real differences emerge, at least for me, to, to kind of demonstrate, you know, what left me at the end of Uncharted without this fun-loving national treasure feeling. So let's start by talking about Nate, played by Tom Holland. It's obvious from the beginning that he clearly, he cares a lot about his brother, right? Like we got to throw him a bone. He's a good guy in that sense. He honestly doesn't seem like he's been super into this treasure hunting thing over the past 15 years. So from the time he was like a child until now, it didn't really seem like he'd been like, working too hard on that maybe the creators of this movie actually read the gates family mystery series and took a hint because all of our protagonists in that series hate treasure hunting until they don't that's true i also don't know what the storyline of the video game is exactly so i don't know if this is carried over from the video game i'm pretty sure the video game kind of like picks up with like when they're on the hunt so i don't think we get this like preamble but i feel free to correct me if i'm wrong listeners um I will point out that Nate does steal stuff, which is, isn't a great look. Um, and Aubrey, do you have something to say about that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, I feel like at least we know him from his present day scenes more than we do the flashback. So in the present day scenes, there really hasn't been any character development between the time he was a child in that flashback and today because um you know he tried to steal this map in the past and now the first time we meet him is literally as he is stealing a woman's bracelet in new york city so like not much has changed yeah he's you know he's not great maybe morally um in terms of entertainment value he's definitely up there he's a pretty funny dude at times um you know we see throughout the movie he can't tie a tie um he gets a cat for Sully as just like a joke um he's constantly chewing bubble gum which is like a thing that he and his brother used to do but it becomes like a bit of an impedance when he's going to like the auction for the crosses and is supposed to look like this fancily fancily dressed person and he's just like chewing bubble gum um he also when he was given his earpiece for the first time he pushed it too far into his ear it was it was all stuff that made me giggle um he's also very good with the banter um i'm thinking specifically of the scene it was seen in a lot of the previews for the movie as well as the movie itself obviously but the scene with him and um the scottish bad guy security guard when the scottish guy is kind of chasing him and stuff the scott there's this big joke about how the scottish guy says something and nobody can understand what he's saying and nate makes a point to be like dude nobody can understand you i would like to point out that i understood what he said completely but everybody gives me the look aubrey is giving me right now of disbelief with that 
anyway, though, Nate was pretty good with the banter in in that moment. For what it's worth, I wasn't giving you a look because you could understand the Scottish guy. I was giving you a look because of how passionately you were talking about this point that really doesn't matter to be 100% fair. But what I, w- <laughs> what I will say is that the way you're describing him as like the funny one, it really supports my theory here, which is a little bit strange. I personally feel since, as you said, we have to compare everything one-to-one with National Treasure, Nate really gives me more of a Riley vibe in that, you know, not only does he provide the comedy, but he in a lot of ways is along for the ride. Um, he doesn't really start solving things on his own until the, I would say much further down into the end of the movie, in which case we get a little bit muddied waters in terms of what character he's most like, but you might be saying, well, but isn't he the main character? And to that, I say, well, yeah, kind of. So in a sense, this movie is like the story is being told from the point of view of the Riley character. So in other words, Emily, this is the movie you get if Riley was the main character himself. I do agree. I, and I, maybe that's one of the reasons why I like this movie yeah. a lot. Because uh, I really would love a movie from that perspective. Uh, I think that would be a cool thing. And maybe something we'll delve into a little bit with the series. Probably not, but Riley's there. So who knows? Um, but yes, I, I agree. Uh, I think he is. I will say that the fact that Nate as a character is kind of this mix of trusting and distrusting right like sometimes he trusts Sully and Chloe and sometimes he doesn't and stabs him in the back he it makes him a hard character to conceptually understand like it feels like the rules that he has for himself keep changing mm. um and I think the complexity and the fact that he um has this kind of general knowledge throughout the treasure hunt which he does show off at various times makes him actually feel a little bit like ben to me really but he doesn't seem like the leader of this hunt to me in any stretch of the imagination at least when the hunt is being established like the reason that there's no one-to-one here i think is because the treasure hunts are inherently so different in that even the protagonists are kind of working against each other mm-hmm. like they there there is no pure collaboration here and even before we saw anyone like stab each other in the back it was like just very clear that they were going to do that you mm-hmm. know yeah. so so there is a point in in this where each character sort of has to fend for themselves and figure things out on their own however they're going to do that but at that time we're still only tracking from from one character's perspective so we can't really make much of a judgment on I feel like the other characters and their abilities but it also kind of doesn't matter yeah this is really complicated I feel like there's more of a one-to-one comparison in the first half of the movie like before before they leave Europe if that makes sense Yes, I, I definitely agree. Um, and going further on comparisons, let's see what we think about Sully. So Sully yeah. is played by Mark Wahlberg. Um, Sully, from the beginning, it's clear that he knows he needs Nate. Um, and this is revealed because he had previously worked with Sam, Nate's brother. Um, and Sam had alluded to Sully that Nate somehow, like, had more information or like knew more even if he didn't know he knew it which mm-hmm. they didn't know he knew it to be fair um 
Sully is clearly from the beginning just in it for the gold, right? We've we've kind of alluded to this before. He, uh, I think this is further exemplified when he reveals to Nate that Sam actually got shot when they were together treasure hunting and he just kind of like left Sam uh, because he was like, I'm gonna go fend for myself now. Like, I'm not gonna die here too. I'm gonna go continue on this treasure hunt. Um, he also frequently tries to ditch Nate, even though he was like trying to get him on his team in the beginning. So it, it feels weird. I feel me. like he's trying to ditch Nate because Nate is a pain. Like he is one entire nuisance. I love Nate. Um, <laughs> speaking badly about Sully, he had a dishonorable discharge from the Navy. So it's clear that he's done some not great things in his life and is continuing along that decision making path. Yeah, I still maintain the fact that all of these characters are bad people. And so um, comparing anyone to Riley, Ben, or Abigail seems almost like unfair, but we're going to try anyway. And to me, for several reasons, Sully has a bit of a Ben vibe if Ben was very dishonorable. So like, for example, Sully was really only able to hijack one of those helicopters that was carrying the boats at the end of the movie because of his military background. This Mm -hmm. immediately screamed to me, oh, Ben and his tailored training with the Naval Diving Center and that being useful for the hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, There's also the age dynamic between um, Sully and Nate as it sort of relates to Ben and Riley, right? Mm -hmm. So Ben and Riley, I would say, had more of a mentor-mentee relationship. I would say that Sully, Nathan, they're, I get the impression that they're a bit further apart in age than Ben and Mm -hmm. Riley were. So I get more of a father-son relationship um, in some respects there. But at the same time, as you pointed out, Emily, Sully was dishonorably discharged from the Navy. I'm pretty sure that was because he was looting artifacts Mm -hmm. when -hmm. he was supposed to be like on duty and like doing his military service, which gives me very like Ian vibes. Um, Also very Indiana Jones vibes for, for some reason as well. Um, But so it's, it's interesting to me though, that I feel that way because in some ways I would say, that Ben is far more similar to Ian than he is to Riley. And so it, in a way, it kind of makes sense to me that Sully gives me slightly Ian vibes if I think Sully is most like Ben, if I had to pick a protagonist. No, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think it's interesting because when I was looking at Sully as a character, to me, it felt like Sully kind of most of the time was like an Ian, uh, the Ian of the film, because he was doing kind of like bad things but to me he became more like Ben by the end of the film but I like this idea of Ben and Ian being like not similar similar but like having some traits in common and that really helps me in my understanding of who Sully is I think as a character in the context of these films I really do think that and I don't want to defend this movie by any stretch of the imagination but I do feel like you're giving Sully a little bit of an unfair shake I mean in the beginning he was the one who called Nate out for stealing the bracelet like he's the one who's like he then stole it from Nate did he yeah oh that's really funny <laughs> no but I, I feel like you're saying like Sully is doing all these Ian type things 
But that would only make sense, really, if Ben continued working with Ian throughout the movie, though, wouldn't it? Because, you know, Nate can't do anything he's doing without Sully. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that it does. That's where the kind of character dynamics get a bit complex in terms of like trying to directly compare one to one, which is why I think he's kind of like an Ian turned Ben. Interesting. Um, rather than like straight up Ian but yeah but there's also two women in this movie in prominence and one of those is Chloe who I feel like it's tempting to make her an Abigail but that is a heavy stretch yep yep um I I think I guess she's kind of like Abigail right I mean she's brought into this group dynamic with Sully and Nate kind of against her will which is somewhat reminiscent of Abigail bringing being brought into you know Ben and Riley's dynamic somewhat against her will though she did agree to it eventually I honestly didn't really see Chloe as one of like the main national treasure characters I could not I could not place her um Mm -hmm. and I think this is amplified by the fact that she's also as we were saying kind of about all of these characters is consistently not trusting people and is like going behind their backs even towards the end of the film after she and Nate kind of like make up and have some weird scene with lots of sexual tension where like I was a little surprised they didn't kiss um and she ends up working for the bad guy at some point like it just it's she's a little all over the place yeah I agree um I think, though, it is fair to say that Chloe, as well as Joe, to be fair, um, they are both like the brains of the original villains, like operation. So she's smart. And so she at least has some of that historical knowledge or treasure hunting knowledge that she can contribute in a way that Abigail probably would have. Ultimately, to me, I feel like Chloe is Abigail, if Abigail were trying to find the treasure herself from the get-go, and if Abigail was, like, overtly willing to double-cross Ben at every turn. (laughs) Yeah, so we got this this double-crossing theme really going on, and to kind of continue forward with that, I guess, let's talk about our last kind of main character, Antonio Banderas. Like I said, I don't know his character name, uh, we can also refer to him as Little Mancata. Um, Antonio Banderas is fine. He's the villain until he's killed by Joe and then it's not the villain anymore. And then Joe's the villain. Um, his dad basically wants to give away the Mancata family fortune. And Antonio is just not feeling that. Because he's greedy. Because um, everyone in this movie is greedy. Yes, because he's greedy. Uh, and it, it's actually stated in the movie that... Um, his father wants the quote-unquote scavenger hunt to be over. This is very Patrick vibes. Yep. (laughs) Although Patrick, like, wasn't bad, but, like, that part of it, sure. Right, exactly. No, Patrick was never a secret villain, I guess. (laughs) Even for, even if for a short time. Yeah. (laughs) For as long, for however long I had her. Sorry, is that weird? Yeah. It made it sound like she had died. <laughs> Sorry, that was totally irrelevant. Everyone can ignore me. I just, sometimes I hear things and then have to quote really obscure national treasure no, lines. That was, I love that line because it makes it sound like the worst has happened. It was actually, it was 
however for however short a time that's the actual <laughs> line and i'm like well it was long enough to be married and have a kid so i feel like it wasn't that short and also like she's still alive you can still have yeah, her this and is, you do this is of course ben's mom we're referring to here in a very <laughs> dr helen mira yeah, dr helen mira <laughs> um but yeah no i feel like um there's also a little bit of a ben patrick relationship between antonio banderas and his dad um, even though it's from this villain perspective, you know, Antonio Banderas asks his dad, like, do you really have no faith in me? Because his dad doesn't believe in the treasure. And so this just really, really has the Ben Patrick dynamic going on until the son kills the father, which, um, I mean, I think a lot of people would be okay if Patrick didn't make an appearance in National Treasure 3. I don't think anyone is hoping for Ben to have murdered his own father in the off-season of the movies. Yes, and I, I think that, you know, why people would be pleased if he, or would be okay with him not making an appearance is more to do with real life issues than it is yeah. with character issues. Yeah, exactly. And so, but I will say, Antonio Banderas is super motivated by his dad straight up not believing in him and like wanting to bring honor to his family by finding a treasure. Like, sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the story of Mulan. It sounds like National Treasure. <laughs> what? Yeah, well, I have a song stuck in my head now, but I don't actually know the song. So it's just like a couple words from the song. But there's like part of Mulan is like she sings, they sing a song that it's like, will bring honor to us all or like something like that and that's well, last I mean. time i checked this is not a mulan podcast so <laughs> the fact that it also sounds like national treasure i think is quite pertinent it is and overall from the character's perspective i think we've kind of alluded to this a little bit aubrey but what are your thoughts yeah, I mean, the biggest difference to me between the Uncharted characters and the National Treasure characters is that, frankly, none of the characters in Uncharted seem redeemable, whereas, like, every protagonist in National Treasure is noble or at least earnest. You know, even, I would say even the villains are at least a little bit likable in National Treasure. I don't know why, I haven't really given a lot of thought to why I feel that way, but I feel no positive feelings towards the villains in Uncharted, whereas in National Treasure, I I like to criticize them because it's my job here on the show, but I still like them as characters. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think I didn't get the National Treasure feeling from Uncharted because I wasn't watching the National Treasure characters. <laughs> and I would just like to say kudos to Aubrey for expressing a variation of this view to me a, a few times uh, over the series of the podcast. Um, and for me finally being on the same page, like I finally get what you're, <sighs> what you've been pointing out. I think the character dynamics in Uncharted are just really all over the place and they're not as clear cut as they are in National Treasure, which some people might say is better because it makes for a more complex like if we were doing a show about uncharted i'm sure we could go into the moral complexities of these characters and we'd have a lot of meat to work with 
but I mean, I think we have plenty of meat to work with with National Treasure as it is. So we definitely don't need an Uncharted podcast. But also kind of like to your point, like nobody trusts each other. Yeah. And that's something in National Treasure, like it's not even a question. Yeah. After a certain point, after a certain point, everyone is on the same team. Yeah. They all somehow trust each other. And I think even in the end of Uncharted, I don't believe that Nate fully trusts Sully. He he never tells him about um, the postcard that he got from Sam. Uh, so I, I really think that there's just this this uh, tension almost. Yeah, this tension, this distrust, and they're just not they're not my they're not my buddies. You know that might be a part of it too with the villains in that. At some point in both National Treasure movies, the protagonists are working with the villains. It's not under the best circumstances, but it always happens. And it's like when you don't ever get the impression, let's put it this way. You don't get the impression that as Ben, Abigail, Riley, Patrick, Ian, and his henchmen are walking down the staircase in parkington lane before it starts collapsing you never get the impression that ian's just gonna pull out a gun and shoot all of them dead and just toss them overboard because he wanted them dead and this was the easiest way to do it you know what i mean like they can work together when they all have the common goal you cannot have that in uncharted yep and honestly aubrey i think this leads really well into the next point that i wanted to cover which is the style Mm-hmm. of these two movies i think uncharted is definitely less kid friendly uh it's based off of a video game so there is a decent amount of violence and car slash people chases we were doing a lot of parkour at one point mm-hmm. on some rooftops of buildings right <laughs> yeah there's a, and there's a lot more gunfighting in this movie exactly yeah and that's something that you just don't see in national treasure i think also to a certain extent, right, there, there's not a ton of super realistic action that's happening in Uncharted as compared to what we see in National Treasure. Um, you know, we can talk all day long about whether Ben would have died from that jump off the USS Intrepid. But I mean, in, in Uncharted, Sully and Nate are in the trunk of a car in a plane for supposedly 10 hours. Like they definitely would have run out of oxygen by then. Um, Nate falls out of a plane at a certain point and hits a bunch of like large wooden containers he definitely would have died he's hitting things left and right i mean yeah that was that was quite the stretch (laughs) and then my favorite part yeah i i was hoping that we could bring this up the are you thinking about the big fight scene on the airborne ships oh my gosh yeah so there's literally at the end when we've been talking about the helicopters carrying these ships basically over the ocean there's just a giant fight scene between people as they are just like trying also not to fall off the ships that are in the middle of the air and this honestly for some reason really gave me pirates of the caribbean i don't know why um but also the ships are getting destroyed in this process and it is literally killing me yeah i hate the fight scene with the ships in the air I personally, this is just a thing for me in general. I always feel like movies nowadays, they need to end like 20 minutes sooner or something. And they need to cut out that final fight scene. And what I realized in, you know, preparing this, it's really interesting to think about how National Treasure and National Treasure 2 
neither of them have super prominent fight scenes like right at the end of their movies right like Mm. the the biggest like fight scenes that happen are like the car chases which happen kind of mid movie or not not as much mid movie for the second movie but it's not the end of the movie right like the end of the movie we just have this kind of like moral kind of conflict and this like final treasure hunt solving thing but there's not like an action adventure chase scene or anything that leads to that which i think really gives the movies like two very different vibes Mm -hmm. um and i think kind of going off of this whole like realistic nature of things i think honestly just the realism of the whole thing in uncharted is just not as good as what we see in national treasure which is saying something right because a lot of people find national treasure to be just one massive suspension of disbelief but i really feel like if people think that national treasure has a lot of serendipity in it then to be self-consistent those very same people would have to literally laugh at uncharted i mean think about this they just so happen to fall out of the plane into the ocean at the exact location in the ocean that will wash them up onto the shores of the filipino destination they need to be at or you know then there's then there's the fact that like in uncharted they find the treasure and then they lose it which is like <laughs> sorry that's super lame and in in all honesty i feel like there was no payoff for the audience here i mean remember how when we were covering the prequel books we had that whole debate over like they have to find something at the end of each of these books otherwise why are we continuing to come back as readers you know what i mean yep i mean they found gunpowder but <laughs> You know, that was about it. Here they found the treasure. They just didn't procure it, I guess. It literally becomes the property of what was it, the Filipino government because it was like yep. in their waters or something? Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh. Also, I have to point out that Uncharted has its very own page 47 ending by revealing that Nate's brother is alive and like stuck in prison somewhere. Um, there was also, I don't know if you noticed this, did you watch the post credit scene? Yes. So there is a callback to a ring that Sam gave to Nate way back, the very beginning of the movie. And honestly, the whole movie, whole time I was waiting for that ring to be important for something. And then it wasn't. And I was like, this is so dumb just for it to pop back up at this like callback to maybe try to launch another movie. Ugh that structurally drove me crazy and I know we're running out of time so I just want to point out a couple of fun parallels is that okay Em? I think that's fine okay so just a couple of things that I noted um fun parallels between National Treasure and Uncharted that don't really fit in this structure anywhere did you notice that Uncharted starts in Boston and then they go to New York And then at the end of the movie, they find these ships. So it's kind of like they're working through national treasure locations backwards. (laughs) I did not realize that. That's good. Yeah, I love that. I don't think that's intentional, but I'll pretend that it is. Um, I also think it's funny that there's a significant ring in this movie, even if it only pretends to be significant and pops up at the beginning and the end. It's like a nod in my brain to Sadusky's ring 
his Freemason ring and national treasure. And of course, all of the rings in the prequel series for national treasure that we learned about. <laughs> so many rings. Um, but my favorite, um, my favorite, like, point of comparison I don't know if this was an intentional nod from the creators of Uncharted to the National Treasure franchise it certainly could be the creators have said that they were inspired by movies like National Treasure Indiana Jones etc for this series so I'm gonna pretend that this was intentional I loved how Sully and Nate hide in the smuggler's hold of one of the Magellan ships to like stay hidden from Joe, just like Ben and Riley hid in the smugglers holding the Charlotte. Like that has to be a direct callback, right? Like that is so niche. You and I have done research on the concept of a smugglers hold mm-hmm. for our book. Mm-hmm. And like, this is not a common thing. So no, it's not. And I saw it and I was like, is that too small to be a smuggler's hold? I don't know. Is it actually a smuggler's hold? And then I was like, it has to be. It just has to be. Yeah. And so that's why I feel like this was actually maybe an intentional, like, like massive talent scale callback. You know, you have to be looking for it or you have to really know National Treasure to see it. But that just made my heart happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, real quick, kind of along these lines, before you wrap up, I just want to point out a couple other parallels that I noticed, you know, uh, we have the invisible ink, uh, that shows up a couple times that needs to be revealed with heat. Um, at one point when they find the second map, they're carrying it around in a poster tube, kind of like it had the declaration of independence on it. (laughs) It just made me feel that way. Um, there were torches that they could light in the underground tunnels and then there was a scene of like the main character holding the torch which was really cool to me um there was a lot of talk about the eye of providence which you may remember is another name for the all-seeing eye Mm -hmm. um uh and so that being there was really cool and then there was just a really fun throwaway line that i'm pretty sure solely said when nate was going into uh, going down into a tunnel he said have fun in the haunted tunnel and that just reminded me of Riley saying like who wants to go down the dark creepy tunnel first <laughs> oh my gosh yeah those it's those subtleties that like make this experience worth it definitely and I think on that note it's probably about time for us to wrap up and do our typical overall thoughts and answer some prophetic questions Certainly important questions at the least. You know, we said at the beginning of this episode that an important reason we wanted to, to make this um, this comparison piece was because it the creation and the release of Uncharted in the year 2022 can actually mean something about or for the prospects of National Treasure 3, right? I mean, this is an action-adventure treasure hunt film that's how you'd also describe National Treasure, released in the 2020s era, which is one of those things that like, you know, everyone loves National Treasure, but how will it be received today, right? Mm -hmm. And so in a way, we can look at Uncharted as a test bed for that. So how was Uncharted received? Did it do well? You know, how many people went to see it? I feel like these are really important questions for all of us to think about. Um, So like we said at the top here, the, the movie made over $400 million. That is good. That being said, I don't think it was well-received critically. I'm not surprised. 
This is an action-adventure flick. Emily, you've said on the pod many times before that anything action-y, like a, like a Marvel movie or whatnot, those get panned by critics. Mm-hmm. If they get anything, you know, that praise for anything, it's usually for, like, uh, graphics and effects. Um, so this is an interesting case of critics hating it, but audiences at least wanting to see it and therefore shelling out at the box office to do Mm -hmm. so. Um, That being said, Uncharted also set itself up, you know, that, that page 47 type moment. (laughs) It's, it's set itself up for a sequel. No confirmation has been released regarding a second Uncharted film. Mm -hmm. They, they definitely made it seem like there was a second one coming. Absolutely. So let's all just keep that in mind. And it will be really, I think, telling. If, if Uncharted gets a second movie, to me, there's no way Disney shouldn't make National Treasure 3 and not just because we're biased, right? Like this would be, a, <laughs> it would be a box office success. And I think Uncharted proves that. Now, that being said, I know that you really liked Uncharted. You really enjoyed it. Like I said, I thought it was really fun, but I do feel like I would have enjoyed it more if we weren't doing National Treasure Hunt because the podcast has truly changed the way that I watch these movies. Mm. Um, I'm not getting from Uncharted things like complex plot design. I'm not getting the intricate interwoven um, clues that make me wonder if they're historically accurate. Um, I don't get character development at all. Mm -hmm. And so when I don't get those things, I'm disappointed. There's also no stakes in this movie. They lost the treasure. There were no clues to solve. Eh, that's my impression. No, that that's very fair. And I think from you, a charitable, a charitable read of the film. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, to end things, I will say I obviously I did enjoy this film um, and was definitely there for the treasure hunt aspects of things. Um, I think the kind of Disney-like treatment that National Treasure gets in the film where you're like always certain that the main characters are going to be safe definitely made this movie ironically to me feel like there were more stakes mainly because people were kind of like dying left and right um (laughs) so it just it didn't feel like as safe of a place and for me as someone with like anxiety I just like to feel safe in a movie and like chill so um I think ultimately what I'm coming to realize having, you know, done this podcast now for a couple years and also, you know, doing this episode is that I do inherently like movies with treasure hunts or codes and stuff like that. But to me, what makes National Treasure National Treasure, and I know you're going to be excited to hear this, Aubrey, is the characters. Boom! (laughs) It took 46 episodes, but I finally convinced her oh my gosh can we record this um oh actually how about this how about this let me just let me just take in this this moment is this how you guys feel all the time (laughs) you're so funny i'm so funny Uh, i'm quoting riley oh my god i know (laughs) if this is how you guys feel all the time or you have any thoughts about Uncharted itself and our comparisons with National Treasure, please feel free to let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available, as you probably know by now if you're listening, to listen to on various podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get 
wherever you get your pods, man. Go ahead, like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, do all the things you can. Let us know what you thought of this movie uh, and how you think it compares to the National Treasure and what you think that the movie's success or lack thereof means for National Treasure 3 moving forward. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to ask you guys to reply with your thoughts to any episode, it's definitely going to be this one because you guys wanted this episode. So we need to know your thoughts. But hey, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope that we did this very important topic justice. And we hope you'll come back next time for episode 47, which will be another Emily feature all about the musical soundtrack, the musical score of National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. So until next time, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt.